welcome back to part two of my conversation with Mike Farney. I hope you enjoyed the conclusion of. Nice question. On Instagram, you are followed by Richard Hammond, but not James May or Jeremy Clarkson. <laughs> is this because Richard really likes you and you guys share a good relationship? Or is it more due to the fact that Jeremy and James don't interact with you all that much? Um, well, I actually think in terms of our relationships, I would expect James May to be the one that follows me. But um, I think Hammond, Hammond can be like very intense in a short, sort of short bursts. So he, he's um, very, very friendly for the small time that we have with him. Um, Paul James May, we have more time with him, so it's like more chill and we're more just like general pals compared to the others. Um, so yeah, I think Hammond must have just liked something that I'd done or I might have tagged him in something and he thought, oh, that, that's Mike from filming the other day. I'll give him a follow. But I think James May, he likes Instagram. Twitter is his favorite. So I think he kind of doesn't really care about Instagram. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm not too bitter about that. Clarkson, I've uh, I mean I've only I've only met the guy two or three times really. Um, one of those being the uh, Alpha Romeo debacle. So he's not going to follow me on We're Instagram after that. that. A bit. <laughs> I, I'm I'm sure we are. I've been inundated with both love and hate with regards to that. Um, so yeah, I I I can't see him following me on Instagram ever. But you never know. Interesting. Well, to be blunt, I felt like I had to bring this up at some point, the Scottish accent. It probably has to be one of the coolest and most unique accents out there. When you started presenting videos, was there ever a part of you that was afraid no one would understand or pay attention to what you were saying because they were distracted by your Scottish accent? Um, it's not that I feared people would. They, they don't understand what i'm saying half the time <laughs> at the start people were genuinely there was comments saying is this guy speaking english and i i i some, something i've picked up on is that when i do get nervous and when sometimes when i'm chatting to one of the three guys i do i struggle to get my words out i slur a bit but i've got much better at it and i did take those comments to heart which is what you do when you first start on youtube you, you do read all the comments and people are very nasty and you suddenly think well that's my voice so I don't really know what to do about that um, but you just, you just get stuck in it becomes your thing um, it's, you hear from the people that hate your accent and you don't hear from the people that love your accent that's just the way it works um, so no I, it's, it's my heritage I'm very very proud of it uh, I am surrounded by people with English accents and I think they sound really boring and unimaginative. So yeah, I, I'm, I'm very happy that I've got my accent and I'm going to continue with it. Yeah, for me, Scottish accent has got to be up there, one of the best. <laughs> well, now we're going to talk about Clarkson in the GTV6. So you drove the GTV6, his favorite car, without his permission. Now, Jeremy Clarkson has punched a man for an offense much more minor than driving his car without his permission. What were you thinking, and off-camera, how mad did he get? So, I've had loads of people ask me about this, and, like, pe people think I'm, like, lying, and that it, it became, like, something massive. But, no, I'll tell you exactly what happened, which isn't too far away from what the video said. I was very honest in that video. Um, we 
had a phone call about what we were going to do on that day with um, Jeremy's girlfriend, who helped run the farm. Um, and she said, just off the cuff, oh, and by the way, we use the Alfa Romeo and the excellent, the lifted Mercedes, as um, sort of advertisements outside the farm shop. So um, come meet us in the morning, have a meeting, and we'll just quickly drive down in those cars and put them in place. I was like, oh, Lucy, this is fantastic. We'll only be driving it 200 yards, but we need to do something. I'm driving Jeremy Clarkson's either the Alpha or the Excellent, like GoPro it up and we'll just film, we'll just record and see what happens. Um, and so that's what we did. We turned up, Clarkson was away filming um, for his Amazon farm show. Um, and Lisa popped in the excellent. So I was like, okay, the alphas, I'm going in the alpha. Start up the alpha, drive it the 200 yards from Jeremy's house down to the, down to the farm shop, park it up. And then we started filming at the farm shop for a food tribe. So we were going to film with the cars later on. And now that, I mean, I had the keys, we were in control. But then we finish filming at the farm shop for Food Tribe and start heading back up to Jeremy's place to have lunch. And there's a big Range Rover Vogue coming the other way. And I'm like, that's JC himself. And he starts to slow down and rolls down his window. And I'm like, mm, what is this all about? Um, so he asks, where, where is my alpha? And it's, you know, we say, oh, it's, it's down at the farm shop. And he asks, okay, who, who drove it there? And Lisa was like, oh, it's Mike from Drive Drive. Um, so, yeah, Jer Jeremy didn't, well, wasn't a fan of that. <laughs> um, he, he is the one and only person that drives that car. Although, actually, if you follow Harry's garage, um, Harry drove it. He's just uploaded a video of a proper drive in it. So, jammy bastard. Um, but, yeah, I, I didn't have permission. Um, I, from my perspective, Lisa's permission was Jeremy's permission because I thought, well, surely Lisa knows whether the car is allowed to be driven or not. Um, but no, it wasn't the case. And very quickly, Jeremy went down to the shop and drove the Alpha back to his house. But then I was, I was up front. I went up to him during lunch and was like, hey, Jeremy, we would like to film a video with your Alpha. Um, it, it's fine. If it's static, we'll, we'll make do. Is that okay? And he, he was totally fine. Um, he wasn't angry. He wasn't you know, furious really at all. He, he just genuinely didn't want someone driving his car and genuinely wanted to know where it was and where he could bring it back. So, yeah, everyone thinks there's going to be this massive tirade and where is my car and all that kind of stuff. But no, it, it just wasn't like that. And we did. We filmed with it static. There's about three seconds of footage that thankfully Lucy got on her phone of me pulling into the farm shop. So there's at least some evidence that I was behind the wheel at some point. But um, I mean, that video is nearly on half a million views now. So it was definitely worth doing, despite everyone being like, well, you didn't bloody drive it, did you? And I'm like, well, I did, but I just didn't film too much of it. Um, so yeah, it, it was totally fine in the end. And actually, the way I look at it is that if we'd gone there, we'd filmed with the Alpha and come away again, I would have had very little interaction with Jeremy himself. But the fact that but it wasn't, I wasn't allowed to drive it, and this sort of debacle happened. I hopefully like will have made a, a bit more of an impression on him. Next time he sees me, he'll be like, That's that kid from Drive Tribe that drove my Alpha. Um, so, although it's initially like a negative thing to happen, I think it will help in the long run, and it hopefully will be a sort of 
joke that we can, you know, have a laugh at down the line. But we'll see. Well, that's my last stupid question for the time being. So we'll get back into the thick of it. And this next question is one that I'm particularly interested to hear your response. So I want to go back to talking about one of your blog posts in which you wrote about how traditional automotive reporting was disappearing and this whole crew of automotive YouTubers was taking its place. Obviously, there is a fair amount of crappy content out there on YouTube. Some might even consider my channel to be part of that crap. But as a generality, what is your opinion towards these so-called automotive influencers? Good question. Um, I think there are some that have kept up with the times and are real beacons of what people should look at in terms of if, if they want to be automotive YouTubers themselves. YouTube is a constantly changing game and you have to keep up with what the algorithm is doing if you want to stay on top of it. And some people have the sort of work ethic and the nous to read into what's going on, look at their audience stats and adapt to what's going on. Unfortunately, there are some who, when the whole sort of auto, uh, car YouTuber thing kicked off, they were massive. They had very quick growth, but are have have never adapted. They've just they've got templates for videos that they do, and it's just copy and paste every few months, and it's just a churn. And their audience has got bored. Um, their subscribers, you know, they've got this huge subscriber count because they've been around since the start. But you then look at how many people of those are actually watching the videos and you're like, whoa, their audience has disappeared. So there's definitely people that were at the top of the game and are just kind of hanging on now. And it is it's a shame to see. It's not like I'm like, oh, yes, we've overtaken them. It's like, oh, it's genuinely a shame that they've not sort of kept up with the times. Uh, and it's a stress for me. I'm, con I, You know, if a, video, if a video doesn't quite do well enough, on the Drive Tribe channel to our expectations, suddenly I'm like, oh God, here we go. We're going to be like so-and-so. You know, it's, it is a stress in my mind. Um, in, ter in terms of influencers versus journalists, which is actually, I've grown up in, in motoring journalism right at that time. I actually wrote an article on Drive Tribe about a fight on Twitter between a, um, a, a YouTuber and a journalist at the time fighting over who got more views. It was very petty. But, I think, I don't know, I can't remember what I said in that article. I was probably ripping into them. Wait, wait, what was I doing? Was I slagging off influencers or was I saying journalists are old school? Oh, uh, well, yeah, you're kind of like ripping into Shmi and like saying, like, is it, it says yeah. was okay. that sort of thing. <laughs> but Sorry. I think, uh, <laughs> yeah, you're just talking about how traditional automotive, you know, journalism reporting was kind of going away. And instead, it was more of these influencers that were taking their taking their spot. Yeah, and I think that has that has developed into um, automotive brands now. I would say almost prioritizing the influencers above the journalists. Uh, you know, back in like twenty twelve till about twenty fifteen, the influencers were seen as this kind of unknown fad, and would they just go away and? brands didn't really want to be involved with them because some of the videos were a bit silly. But now, if a brand comes out with a car and they want it to be seen as by as many people as possible, you can't feasibly get all the magazines in because they're, 
just magazines. Like that, that world is just getting smaller and smaller by the day. Bring Tim Schmee 150, bring JWW, bring you know some of your American guys, Doug, uh, Stradman, all those guys, and the eyes that you're getting on your content just explodes. The return on investment for bringing them on a launch versus a journalist for a magazine that's been around for 100 years, it, it, it isn't even comparable. There's now, on car launches, there's now two launches sometimes. That they do mesh together most of the time, but there can be an influencer launch and a journalist launch. And sometimes, because the influencers are going there to make videos and not, I don't want to disrespect writing articles, but it obviously takes less time than editing a full video together. The first batch of people on the launch are the influencers. They get prioritized, and then the traditional car journalists come along. And that doesn't go down well, because the journalists are like, you know, they still see these sort of youngsters as being just, you know, a waste of space, basically. But there will be a time where um, it it just goes completely the other way. And it's it's mostly guys with cameras and very few people with notepads and their laptops going. Um, and I've kind of surfed between the two. I started off as that little kid sitting on the seat um, you know, after driving a car with my laptop, looking over it, seen through glass and uh, supercars of London and all these guys filming, thinking, oh, my God, I'd love to do what they do. And now it's, it's the other way around. I, I very rarely just write an article. It's almost certainly going to be a video. Um, so I, actually, after this, I'm going to go back and read what I, I said in that article. I'm quite interested to see what I say. But um, if influencers have been the way forward since then and they are the way forward now and I think any brand watching journalism still definitely has a place because they have a very engaged audience who are probably older and can actually buy the cars um, but in terms of eyes and brand awareness for youngsters to then grow up and want those cars that they've seen said YouTuber in um, there, there really is no replacement when I read your articles or watch your videos, there is a fair amount of comedic relief mixed with strong opinions. Obviously, in the world of media, engagement is a must. But how exactly do you go about making something interesting? Take something like Mice Mechanics, for example. You could be talking about superchargers, something pretty technical. And while you'd want to divulge the right information to the viewer, you also at the same time don't want to bore them. So how exactly do you accomplish that? So I have this kind of mantra when it comes to coming up with video ideas and it's making your stuff niche but mainstream. So finding niche areas that people haven't tapped into yet but they are very well known and all it is is someone hasn't decided to go mining in that area yet. Um, for example, I'd say my first sort of hit in terms of on YouTube for Mike's Mechanics was um, a racing car that flipped in the air at Le Mans. It did a full, like, couple, two and a half flips, I think, in the air. And it was just the most amazing thing. And everyone has seen that video, that bit of footage of the Mercedes doing that. But I had a look, and no one had created content as to why that happened. So immediately I was like, okay, if we've got a thumbnail of that car flipping, and how the hell did this happen? 
people are going to click on that. So it's a, it's a niche, Le Mans is a, is a niche little area and aerodynamics is even more niche, but um, that everyone's seen that crash. So it's a niche area, but it's a very mainstream subject. So if you can combine those two things, you're getting clicks and it's stuff that people have never seen before, but it's stuff that they're kind of attached to just by being a car fan. Um, so another video was a V4 engine. How does a V4 engine work? Um, I think that was my first million view video. And again, V4s are such rare engines. Barely any cars have ever had a V4, but you suddenly have a picture of it and you have V4 in the title and people know V engines. They know a V6, a V8, or even a, a V twin but they don't know a V4. So they're like, oh, I'd really like to know about that. So they click on it. So that's always the aim, not to be too obvious, but as you say, not to be too sort of boring and niche. You need to, if you can get it right in the middle, you then have this perfect storm. And Engineering, Engineering Explained um, does very similar things. He, he will look at a press release of a new car, say the Koenigsegg Gemera or something like that. And he will almost surpass the big headline stuff and focus in on one bit of tech that is actually really interesting. And if and if you get the thumbnail right and you get the title right, that video can outperform anyone that's just saying, "Oh, look at this new Koenigsegg." If you really pinpoint it, um, you can just get a way more engaged audience. And yeah, that that's that's what I strive to do. There's two videos at Drive Tribe. There's niche but mainstream, or Clark's Ham to me. Those those are the two things that will get people clicking um and yeah I, th I think we've done okay there's a few things that i mean you you don't have a hit every single time so there's sometimes where we do it is just too niche we've just gone slightly too far the other way and not many people click um and it can work the other way as well you've just your your title's been a bit too simple the video is a bit too you know people have been there and done it so they won't click on that so it's about finding that real middle point well, my last question, what is your favorite part about your job? Is it driving cars, presenting, meeting new people, traveling? What has been that best part for you? Um, I think, oh, I'm never thinking about this one. What's the best part? The, on, on a video shoot, um, there is a moment where I've had to source the car, I've, I've scripted the video, I've sourced the location that we're going to film at, and then suddenly, it happened just the other week, um, I was in, do you know what an MGSV is? It's quite a niche British car, but it was I like MG Supercar. Yeah, 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 so it was like MG Supercar from like 2004, they made like only a few with like basically Mustang bits in it. Um, so just last week, I was sat in an MGSV at this sick location and has the script that I'd written in my head ready to go. And you just have 10 minutes of just driving the car and not bothering about recording a video, just experiencing the car so that you, you have that time to yourself before you essentially start working. Um, and that just says to me that like, my God, how the hell does this work? You know, some of the stuff, I, I was going around Silverstone in a GT4 car just last week, and it's like, how, how am I getting paid for this? I'm like, what is this? How, how is this a thing? Um, but 
then I think, well, someone's got to do it. Same with Clark's Hamden and May. They'll be doing stuff on the Grand Tour or back in the day on Top Gear, thinking, how am I getting paid for this? But it, it is a job and someone has to fill those shoes. So why not make it you? Um, so I would say, yeah, that, that those 10 minutes before the cameras roll and you just have the car to yourself is awesome. But then on the other side, you've made the video, it's done, it's been edited and it goes out and it is a nerve wracking thing. I, I don't know whether you use the YouTube studio app, but once a video goes live, you then have that half hour wait to see the stats go. And after that half hour, basically YouTube gives you a very brutal output as to how your video is doing. It ranks it versus your others. It gives you the view count, the watch time, the whole body lot, the likes, dislikes. And that can go either way. But see, when you open that YouTube bat on a video you're really proud of, and it says one out of 10, and it's really, it's going really well. And you're more than happy to look into the comments because you already know that, you know, people must be loving this and you, you see that in the comments. That's probably one of the most, um, uh, what do I want to say? Um, one of the most rewarding things. Nice. Well, Thanks for coming on to the show, Mike. It's been really great talking to you, uh, learning a little bit about what drive, what the point is of Drive Tribe, and then obviously what you do in relation to Drive Tribe. So thank you. Now, so they've been fantastic questions, and the amount of research you've done and the graft you've gone into to make this happen and make other interviews happen that I've looked at you've done, that is exactly what you need to do to stand out from others and climb up that ladder and if you just keep doing exactly what you're doing something will happen a bit of luck will come your way and things will really take off so i'm really gonna keep track of what, what you've been doing and you're so young as well people say i'm young in the industry all everyone in their 30s i'm i'm turning 27 um soon and everyone thinks i'm young so you are mega young so the fact that you're doing this and you've been chatting to much more important people than me in these interviews and um, that is the level of graft that doesn't normally exist in someone your age so good luck and i can almost guarantee that you're going to go places so yeah well done thank you so much for listening to this episode of the tmc talk show if you would like to watch the video version of this interview make sure to visit our youtube channel the master cylinder also make sure to visit our website at www.themastercylinder.blog to check out all of the content we have to offer other than that, keep the good times going by listening to another podcast by The Master Cylinder.